You are listening to the My Sister's Cancer podcast. I'm Kayla Crum, registered nurse and writer. And I'm Ella Beckett, social worker and cancer survivor. We're sisters on a mission to care for the cancer community through the sharing of real life stories, a sprinkle of sass, and lots of support. Join us in a new kind of pity party. It's a pity so many of us carry the heavy burden of cancer alone. So let's make it a party and carry it together. Welcome to episode two of the My Sister's Cancer podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kayla Crum. And last week you heard my sister and I discuss Ella's diagnosis with Hodgkin's lymphoma at the age of 18. This week, we're going to cover the next step in the story for a lot of people, which we've affectionately termed the rollout. Ella, do you want to tell the people what the rollout means? Sure. Yeah. So we use the term the rollout to describe the entire process from when you receive the diagnosis to how you're going to roll the news out to all of the people in your life. So these are the people that are closest to you, your friends, your family, your loved ones. But then there's a wider reach too um, with friends of friends and people in your school community or your work community or even just people who follow you online. Um, And so we found throughout um, my personal experience with the rollout, um, that it can be a really tricky thing to navigate. And um, I think it's something that isn't necessarily talked about a lot. um, But I think it's something worth thinking about. So Kayla, one of the things that we've talked about is how after I was diagnosed, you kind of took on the role of press secretary in our family. Um, you know, in the White House, they have a press secretary and that person is responsible for all of the public relations and, you know, declaring the news to various outlets. And so, you know, I really think that you took this role on in our family and I would just love to hear you kind of speak to that and what that experience was like for you. Yeah, it's interesting because I don't think we ever formally discussed it. It's not like at the time we even knew to call it a press secretary, but we didn't even say like, who's going to manage information. It just kind of fell to me because mom and dad, with you being a teenager, were your primary caregivers. Dad was still working because somebody needed to. And mom took a leave of absence at one point and at another point was working part-time, but mostly caring for you. And so as the only sibling and like the next closest person, I was in the know and sort of tasked or took it upon myself to inform all the people waiting to hear about you. Um, I would say... I had sort of different experiences. I had less to do with informing everyone of the initial diagnosis or the relapse because that was more something that you decided how and when and who. But cancer, as I'm sure many illnesses um, do, has a million little updates along the way. And so that's the stuff where it was difficult to determine, okay, How are we going to tell everyone she needs two more rounds of chemo than we thought? Who gets that news? In what order? How broadly? 
because you have everyone from like grandparents, aunts, uncles, and cousins, and we're close to our family. Um, and then you've got close friends, but then you have, like you were saying earlier, okay, professors, classmates, coworkers, like church communities of both yourself and like your grandparents' church, if you know, you're in a faith community and then, um, social media, which we'll get to in detail later, but that's a whole nother piece of the puzzle. So we definitely didn't do it right every time. I don't think there is one right way. Um, and something that I came to sort of resent, honestly, is that it started to feel a lot like we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings mm. by having them be told in the wrong order. <laughs> Um, right? Because there's sort of an order to these things. People might experience this even with a positive thing, like um, an engagement mm-hmm. uh, to be married, where you want to make sure you tell your grandparents and your parents, maybe before you like post it on Facebook. And I know sometimes toes get stepped on when things go out of order. It's kind of like that, but with a thousand little updates. And it's difficult to make sure that you know, your dear older relatives are being informed sometimes who aren't even on Facebook and then your faithful like blog followers, because of course, everyone these days with cancer seems to have some sort of blog update situation. Um, yeah. So that was an interesting role to play. Again, it was like unofficial, but I just sort of ended up being the person sort of sending the texts um, to our closer people. And then you, I think, or mom would update the blog or your social media once something became like wider known. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was interesting. I want to ask you about the first diagnosis. I remember our family, it was Labor Day weekend. It was like mm-hmm. you, I think, got the biopsy on like a Thursday. And then like you had your first appointment a Friday or something like that towards the end of a week. And then we took the weekend and just were home as a family instead of me moving back into college. Um, And you made a post that was like very mature and like seemed like you really had your stuff together (laughs) Um, on Instagram and Facebook. And I'm sure at that point we had like told grandparents and aunts and uncles. I remember specifically texting my three best friends from high school and my three college roommates. Mm. Because those were sort of my close people at the time. My roommates needed to know why I wasn't coming. Right. Which is another piece. Sometimes plans change and you have to tell people who aren't necessarily high up in the order, but like need to know for logistical purposes. (laughs) Yep. Um, But I just remember a lot. We constantly being like, wait, especially early on, is this okay with you? Is this okay with you? What are we sharing? Like that must have been a lot of decision making for you. Yeah, you know, I think I really appreciated how much you all asked me what was okay to share. Um, But I do think I experienced some decision fatigue for sure. You know, I think I was so overwhelmed with the news myself. And then the thought of having to distribute that news and tell that news to other people was really overwhelming to me. Um, and I think in some ways that's really what pushed me to want to post about it um, probably sooner than I was ready was because then it was out there and then I didn't have to necessarily 
individually reach out to all these, you know, of course, like you said, I made sure to reach out to the closest people first. We made sure to tell family before it was out there to the wider public. But I think to me, it was like, I just need to get it out there because then I don't have to necessarily think as much about the rollout of that initial diagnosis, if that makes sense. It does. And I think part of that's the size of the community in which we live. We live in a fairly small city. I more think of it as a town. I think it's technically a city, but small town America. And within that, a smaller like church community um, and school community. So it's the kind of place where you can't go to the grocery store without running into someone you know. So, yeah, you'd rather they just know, even though Mm -hmm. sometimes, and we'll talk about that in another episode, people can get awkward once they know. But Mm -hmm. you don't want to be standing there being asked questions about how college is going or whatever when you've left college for chemo. Like, there is some element of, like, uh, help from social media in that aspect because it can just blanket inform people. I'm very aware as we're talking though, like there's probably people who found out that way that were Mm -hmm. hurt by that. Like I know I've had that. I've been on the other end of that just with like whatever, like engagements, deaths. Sometimes you just hear about stuff in a way you wouldn't prefer. And it's just, there's no one way to do it perfectly. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask you too about, Um, We've mentioned church a couple times. We grew up in a Christian family and actually we went to Christian school as well growing up. Um, So that sometimes can be a little bit more insular of a community. And one thing that if anybody listening is in a faith community might be aware of is like prayer requests. Um, The ability to be prayed for in front of the church or by a portion of the church or over email by the church members. And that can be a double-edged sword a little bit because it can feel really encouraging to have that many people thinking about you, texting you that they're praying for you. Um, But also sometimes that can snowball and get forwarded. Um, What was your experience with that? Yeah, I mean, I think what you were saying earlier about how that can kind of cause things to be out of order in the rollout. I think this is one area when you were saying snowballing, this is what I thought of is that, yeah, once you get it out to a church community, um, I think people are so eager to pray for other people, which is so wholesome and wonderful. But I think as you were saying, I think then, people can find out about things maybe before you had wanted them to, or people with the best intentions might share about news that was actually really private um, simply because they want you to be lifted up in prayer. Um, But it can, yeah, it can be not always a great thing. Yeah. And we're not going to do a theological deep dive here, but people think differently about prayer as well. Mm -hmm. Um people some people think that you're praying to literally cure you completely uh where you wouldn't even need the chemo anymore some people think they're praying for you to have the strength to bear it a lot of people are kind of in the middle like it's a it's kind of a touchy subject even within a a christian subculture for sure so kayla i wanted to ask you circling back to your role as press secretary 
I think a big part of this too was that you were finishing up nursing school. Um, and I know from conversations you and I have had in the past that the knowledge that comes along with the nursing profession can be a blessing and a curse as well. I think um, I felt from my perspective that you were certainly burdened with being the go-to for all of the questions um, about what I was going through. All of the medical questions were directed to you. And I mean, I just can't imagine how much that was to handle finishing up nursing school while also trying to navigate all these questions about your sister. You know, it's not questions about some random John Doe patient. I think it was questions about how I was doing medically. And I think because you had all of that knowledge, maybe there was some more burden on you. I was just curious if you could speak to that at all. Yeah, thanks for saying that. I definitely did get a lot of medical questions. I remember for the longest time, my phone, when I texted, would autocorrect words like call to CBC, which is short for complete blood count, because like I was constantly texting like medical jargon about your blood counts and how you're doing and things like that. And the first time that happened, I just remember pausing and being like, what is my life that my phone is correcting basic words to medical jargon? Um, Yeah, I definitely think there was some element of friends and family asking you how you were or mom and dad, but then they'd get me alone and be like, but what does all this actually mean? And like want the medical deep dive more. Um, And I respect that they kind of shielded you and mom and dad from that a little bit as my understanding is kind of the vibe I got from how that would sometimes come about. Um, They'd be like, I talked to your mom and sister, but like, you know, tell me the real story. Uh, But that was also difficult for me because I was close enough to you that all of it hurt me too. And then to try and kind of give people like the analytical 411 was difficult. Um, I, it was actually in retrospect easier the first time than when you relapsed and I was actually a nurse on an actual cancer floor yeah. because that was just like too much cancer all the time. And then I had the weirdness of like, I'd let my work know what was going on in case of medical emergency or just to know like why I might be struggling. And then because they were literally doing care that you were receiving. Thankfully you were on a separate floor, but we were doing every day what you were getting treated with. There was this weird level of like, I did have the expertise, but then in some people's minds, I think that should have made it easier on me or mm-hmm. I don't know. That's really hard to pull apart. I had another coworker who had a family member going through a transplant or had gone through a transplant in the past And she actually found her knowledge helpful. And I do know that my knowledge helped bring some clarity and peace in certain situations, even just of navigating the logistics of healthcare, which is a whole difficult uh, situation. But for me, it was mostly a burden (laughs) to to see how bad people can end up feeling physically and mentally on a cancer floor and um, knowing that might be in your future. So... 
I want to jump in now to a little bit more of the beloved and hated social media. Um, we mentioned at the time you had a Facebook and an Instagram. Um, <laughs> I feel like we talked early on about how you gained a bunch of followers after you got diagnosed. <laughs> and it, yeah. it, it was literally like over 100 people. Like you'd really jumped ear follows. <laughs> And at the time you were a teenager, you were kind of more into that than you are now. Like you really did care about your feed or whatever the kids call it these days. (laughs) So uh, it's such a public yet private thing to go through cancer in today's world, especially as a young adult. Uh, And I just wondered how that felt. Did you feel resentful at the time like you were like thrust into this spotlight or were you kind of was there a weird level of like enjoyment I I don't know yeah not gonna lie I think in the moment I was not mad about the boost in my following um and like you said yes I was very into especially my Instagram like the aesthetic was very important to me I mean to the point where I would plan outfits and it was all very seasonal you know so in the fall (laughs) I was wearing fall colors only um Mm -hmm. and I've I've grown up a lot since that and just moved away from a lot of that toward a lot more authenticity in what I post but yeah I think honestly in that moment it felt like a good thing that could come from cancer I think (laughs) I saw that as kind of what you said, a platform. And I thought, Mm -hmm. okay, if people are showing up and are interested in my life or in what I have to say, maybe that's, you know, I could use that. I don't want to say to my advantage, but if people are listening, you might as well share things. And yeah. Mm. Yeah, I definitely think it's interesting your age at the time probably affected that a lot. Um, You are a fairly private person. I do remember, especially your first time through, you didn't post a lot about the cancer itself. It was a lot more of what we were seeing on Instagram at the time. What what year was this? Like 2016? Like um, Mm -hmm. little inspirational quotes or whatever with a seasonal photo, like you mentioned. So it wasn't necessarily... Mm-hmm. Uh, cancer specific and yet the people who knew what you were going through mm-hmm. would tie the quote back to like your experience and be like oh like you're so encouraging or like praying for you and I'm sure that was like you know a little uplifting as you were sitting in strapped to an IV for the hundredth time yeah but there's a dark side to that as well I feel like you've had the experience of people that you barely know kind of like weirdly following along Um, Do you want to speak to that at all? Yeah. Um, As the people say, people came out of the woodwork, so to speak. Um, (laughs) There were people that, yeah, either didn't know me at all personally um, and were just friends of friends or people that I had gone to school with when I was in preschool (laughs) who were now following (laughs) me. Um, Yeah, just a lot of really interesting things. And I think I was almost upset when people acted like they knew me more than they do. Um, Because in some ways it felt like they were claiming my tragedy. (laughs) 
that sounds weird mm-hmm. to say it that way, but I was like, you don't have any stakes in this. Like you don't even know me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's like, they always say people can't look away from a bad car wreck. Like mm-hmm. there is some element of that where the human nature and all of us is drawn to a good story with a problem that we're trying to fix and the drama. So I think mm-hmm. when that leaks through in some comments, it's a little unsettling for sure. Yeah. And then one other thing I wanted to touch on is the caring blog. Uh, I know there's different brands out there, but there's these platforms that are blogs for people who are sick, basically. Um, and I think mom primarily managed yours. Is that right? Yeah, I think I would post on it every once in a great while, but she definitely did the majority of the posting. Mm -hmm. And I know that I found those to be helpful when I'm not super close to someone going through something, but like I'm interested in how they're doing or they're in my larger community and I might be part of some sort of communal gift or communal support, leave a meal or something, but we're not like intimate friends. It is really nice to kind of keep up with how they're doing. That is a burden to take on to updating something like that. So often it is a caregiver role, not the patient themselves, but it depends on the person. Yeah. Um, And for those who don't know, it's typically like a blog where you get an email when there's a new post. It's not truly like a social media feed, although you could always link back to it from social media. But that's kind of where you'd get the nitty gritty about like, oh, Ella's blood counts were this today or whatever. Not every time, but like, you know, the more medical focused posts, not just the like uh, (laughs) hippy dippy quotes like you were saying on Instagram. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which leads me to the physical details. (laughs) Another part I remember about being the press secretary is like, you know, at one point you were having a lot of GI issues. uh, And it's like, people are like, Oh, like, how is she doing? What can I pray for? What could, what does she need? Like they want to feed you or whatever. And it's like, do I tell them that she literally can't seem to leave the bathroom right now or that she really wishes she could use the bathroom right now? Like that kind of stuff where you're like, I don't need this broadcast. This is kind of like a sensitive subject and it gets more sensitive than that. That's just one example. I feel like you could share here. Um, That gets interesting with ongoing what to share. Do you have any memories around that or like advice for people going through it? I think going back to what you said earlier about me being a primarily private person, um, I think every person is really different on this. And I just think um, it's your story to share, whether you're going through a cancer diagnosis or, you know, a variety of other things such as divorce or infertility Um, Whatever journey that you're walking, I think it's up to you how much or how little you want to share about that story and also in what ways you share. Um, And so Mm -hmm. I think it's really important that you're really clear with the people in your life, you know, when you are experiencing something like that, where, you know, I haven't pooped in six days. (laughs) Like... (laughs) Is that something that needs to be shared with a host of people? Probably not, but maybe 
you know, your closest people might really want to know that. Um, I think it's just um, being clear with the people in your life. You know, this is something I really want to keep private or I'm totally fine with you sharing this with so-and-so. Um, so I think every step along the way, it's important to assess, okay, how much do we want to share about this and in what ways do we want to share? Yeah. And as someone close to you on the flip side, I would say, don't assume, just ask. Like, I don't want to ever assume what you want shared. Um, And hopefully I didn't do that as we went along. I'm sure there were some missteps along the way. Um, But I think something you said a minute ago is really important. Everyone's really different. So some people might really enjoy, enjoy is a strong word feel comforted if they know that say their prayer community is praying for them to have relief (laughs) in their GI system. (laughs) But some people would, you know, just want to hide under their covers of embarrassment. If even, you know, one person outside their household found out about that. So we can't assume even if you're close to someone, how they feel about those things, especially about their body and their bodily functions And it's like, I think sometimes we get caught up in, like we were mentioning earlier, the drama and the story. Something that I think I fell into is that I was struggling a lot with maintaining my normal life slash being a supportive sister. And so sometimes I would lean into justifying my own lack of, say, performance at work or at school or in my marriage, like my attentiveness by like painting a really bad picture of how you were doing. (laughs) And I, I never like made things up, but I would maybe overshare sometimes as someone who like prided themselves on being a good, reliable worker or student. Sometimes I think I wanted to share those for lack of a better word, juicy details to like kind of make people be like, do you understand how hard this is? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a danger that I've definitely fallen into I don't remember ever like crossing any serious lines, but that can be a difficult thing to navigate where, especially farther down the road when you've had cancer for months or years, honestly, everyone else has moved on. And then you're just like, as in your coworkers, people who aren't, they don't even maybe know your loved one with cancer. And sometimes you want to be like, my sister went to the ER last night with a high fever. So like, I barely got any sleep because I was up and I was worried blah, blah, blah. And it's like, that's where sharing can get tricky. So clarity is key. Asking the person who's going through it, what they want shared, trying not to protect your own pride like me by sharing too much. (laughs) Um, And yet as a supporter, caregiver, person who is not experiencing it themselves, but is experiencing quite a lot of pain around it, have a couple people that you know and trust who can take pretty much everything. Obviously, don't forego any boundaries that the person with cancer has set up. But like a spouse, and honestly, not just a spouse, they can't hold everything for you. So, you know, a trusted friend or two who might want to hear or be willing and able to receive a little bit more information than the average listener would either a want to pay attention to for that long or b would just turn into gossip because you can kind of tell if your listener is here for the story or is here for caring about you Mm -hmm. and 
if you can just have somebody to describe, you know, in detail as much as you need to how hard it's been and why, and then know that they're not going to spread that. And again, making that clear, but it's important to have a couple people like that, even as a caregiver that you can sort of vent to. So definitely, I think an idea for a future episode that we might have to talk more on is Mm -hmm. the whole concept of what to share and like, oversharing I find you know even being five years out now Mm. there's definitely still times in my day-to-day life where I have to assess is it worth sharing this detail about my story or you know what's my motivation for sharing this is it Mm. to connect with this person or is it to you know, I just have to ask myself that because I think sometimes I've definitely overshared and then either been mm. really uncomfortable or shut down, or I can feel in that moment that maybe it wasn't the right call to share. Um, yeah, so I think at some point we'll definitely have to talk more on this. Yeah, or on the flip side, if you undershare and then you find yourself maybe facing unrealistic expectations about your physical stamina or whatever Mm -hmm. um, I'm imagining for you now, thankfully five years out, you're in a pretty good place. But I remember earlier on you were in remission and that's not a magic wand. And sometimes you were hesitant to inform bosses or professors or whatever about, you know, asking for extensions or accommodations. That's what, you know, disability offices are there for, Mm-hmm. And so it's like, yeah, threading that needle of how much to share and with whom ongoing is difficult. Definitely. Oversharing also reminds me of people's reactions, <laughs> which is an episode in and of itself, because like you said, sometimes you you share something and then you read the room and you're like, whoa, this social situation was not ready for a cancer story. Okay. Um, <laughs> so that's what we're going to get into on next week's episode, more about how to handle the response. So we've moved from results to the rollout to the response. And I think before we went through this, I never would have thought of all these facets of basically one piece of medical information. Yes, you have cancer, but it's it's a pretty multifaceted, multi-step situation. Uh, and the next part can get pretty dicey and uh, vary quite a bit, the response that people have. So, well, thanks everyone for listening. I hope you found something helpful in here. If nothing else, just the acknowledgement that dispensing information when you are a person going through a journey of any type, like Ella said, but particularly medical stuff or a loved one, it's really difficult. And we see that and hold space for that. So don't be afraid to ask for help. If you feel like you can't handle being the press secretary, especially if you are the person going through it yourself, share that metaphor with someone and designate them to be the press secretary ask if they can have a text chain or something so that your your most important people find out what they need to know because none of us wants to be in this situation but we definitely since we're here need to let people know what support we need and what boundaries we don't want crossed so i hope something um sparked for you today and we will see you next week